morning again um, for all of you here and even those of you who are listening later in the future. Uh, good morning to you as well. God bless you. God welcomes you here. Um, this morning as I was preparing um, this sermon, I was reminded um, by a story that Otis Moss is a pastor out of the south side of Chicago. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, one of my favorite preachers. Um, humbly, I think he's probably the best preacher in America. He's amazing. Um, and he tells this story about being back home and one of the old church mothers he grew up with, Mother Evans. And, and now she would always say, I'm just living between, oh Lord, and thank you, Jesus. And I think as much as we're excited to be here to worship together, um, I do think that some of us this morning were just between, uh, oh Lord, and, and thank you, Jesus. And, and I think that's because today, where we sit in, is between what? Yesterday and tomorrow to come. And so for a lot of us, the old Lord prayer is God's mercy. It's God's undeserved mercy. God not only carrying us through, but God withholding from us maybe things that we deserve because of the bad decisions we make. But God's mercy holding us through. That's why we say, oh Lord. But we also look forward to God's goodness, God's grace, God's gift of grace. And that's the thing to Jesus. We're grateful that He's brought us through, O oh Lord. But we're grateful that He's bringing us through. Amen? We're between who we were and who will be. That's the O oh Lord is thank you, Jesus. You've come a long way. You're not the same. You're not who you used to be. Praise God for that. But praise God, He ain't done with you yet either. Amen? So we're in between who we were and who will be. So as we sit here this morning, we're actually sitting between the blessings of O oh Lord. And thank you, Jesus. But in this in-between, we rely on God's love. We rely on God's faithfulness. The prophet writes this in the midst of a fall of Jerusalem, in the midst of a fallen culture, a fallen people. The prophet says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. In between the old Lord and the thank you, Jesus, God's great love covers us. Amen? God's great compassion comforts us this morning. God's great faithfulness is consistent. God's greatness is our complete hope. And yet, all this love and compassion and faithfulness and hope it still means that we sit in the in-between. That's what God's doing. The question becomes, what do we do today in our in-between? I love what David said when he was called to sacrifice on a Rona stretching floor. He said that, I will not give, I will not sacrifice to Yahweh my God that which cost me nothing. And so that is the beginning of worship. That is the beginning of living in the in-between, of not just waiting for God's love and mercy and grace and compassion, but knowing that where we sit right now, through worship, costs us something. It's not through worship if it's not sacrifice. And later on, if you hear what? To obey is better than sacrifice. So I want to hold on to that sacrifice word a little bit this morning. One writer said this, sacrifice is the currency of heaven. Our sacrifices on earth have eternal significance in the kingdom of God. First of all, we know that Jesus' sacrifice is what makes heaven possible. Heaven would not be possible for us if Jesus did not sacrifice. Sacrifice the currency of the kingdom. Amen? 
But a lot of times, we hold on to that sacrifice and forget the role that we have to pay. I will not give to my God that which costs me nothing. Paul writes through Romans, he says this, Therefore I urge you, sisters and brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I will not give to my God that which costs me nothing. What I offer to my God is all of me, the entirety of my being, as a living sacrifice. Why? Because our sacrifices here on earth have eternal significance. But what does this sacrifice look like? That's our question this morning. And our humble answer is it looks like surrender. If it looks like devotion. And it looks like the heart of Jesus' message to us this morning. If you have your Bible, turn now to Luke chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 18 to 30. We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Starting at verse 18, Luke writes, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Another translation says, How hard it is for those with possessions to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? He replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we have to follow you. Who may I tell you, Jesus said, No one has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times in this age and yet in the age to come, eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we surrender to you this morning. We surrender all we are. Our minds, our bodies, our spirits, our souls, our gifts, our skills, our abilities, our, our possessions, our status, our privileges. Everything that makes us us, Lord, we humbly give it to you this morning. We give it to you not symbolically, but wholeheartedly. We give it to you because surrender is what you ask for us in the in-between. We give it to you because in-between, oh Lord, and thank you, Jesus, you desire all of us. So Lord, help us to surrender this morning with devotion, complete wholehearted devotion to you. Help us to surrender this morning, not just all we are and all of us, but all we have. God, those things that worry us, let us surrender them to you. God, those things that make us afraid, let us surrender them to you. 
God, those things that make you feel alone, let us surrender them to you. God, those things that make us feel like we're not worth it, that we're not worth anything, we surrender that to you. God, everything that belongs to this world, we surrender that to you. That we not get so lost holding on to earth that we miss heaven. May we not get so lost holding on to what we have that we miss what you have for us. May we not get so lost in this world and miss out on the world to come. We hold in your precious name. Amen? One thing I love about this passage is that a lot of us have read it and studied it. It's a very, very familiar passage. The passage of the, the rich young ruler. In fact, this passage is so familiar that we have this, this, this famous phrase from it, right? What is impossible with man is possible with God. And for some of us, that's a prayer. Maybe there's something in life that's so overwhelming beyond your comprehension. You know it's out of your control. You can't do anything. And you need to be reminded this morning, what's impossible with you? possible with God. For some of us, it's an encouragement. Maybe you're in the throes of life. Maybe you're in the throes of suffering, the throes of darkness. Maybe you're in a quicksand you can't just snap out of because you feel stuck. What's impossible with you is possible with God. And maybe you just need that as a blessing this morning to be reminded that you are not alone, that God sees you, that God is carrying you. What's impossible with you is possible with God. And maybe you just need that as a praise this morning. Maybe you're not in between, oh, Lord, and thank you, Jesus. Maybe you just want to say thank you, Jesus, this morning. Because why? What's impossible with you is possible with God. What a blessing we have in that praise. What a blessing we have in that reality. What a blessing we have in our God. But our question this morning is not just the same as passage and praise. What does rich worship actually look like? What does true worship look like? If we're starting with David saying, I will not give God that which cost me nothing, and we're going to Paul saying, actually, you got to offer all of who you are as a living sacrifice, what does that look like? To answer the question, Jesus tells the story. Uh, Luke tells the story of an interaction between Jesus and a certain young ruler. Now, the Greek is interesting here. Because they call him Archon, which in the Greek is mostly translated as ruler. But in some other places in the New Testament, it's translated as a prince or as a commander. Or I like to do my West African sensibilities as a chief. The idea here is this isn't just a rich person. The idea here is that this is a fairly significant person. This is a person with fairly significant authority. This is a person with people under him. In fact, some of you have speculated that he is perhaps someone from the Sanhedrin, which would have been like the, the, the traditional, political, social body that encapsulated all the people. And not only was he a member of the Sanhedrin, but he presided over the synagogue, or he presided over the temple, which means, and this is tricky, because the Sanhedrin wasn't just made up of priests. A lot of times we like to assume that it was the Sanhedrin or the priests. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes in political institutions, if you know the right people, you get jobs. If you know the right people, you get voted in with your bank account. So the Sanhedrin wasn't just the Levites and the priests, it was people from wealthy families of influence. Right? You donate to a certain priest and you just might be the minister of education. 
But the idea, I think, that it wasn't just this holy group of people, the 71 that's uplifted in the history books, right? The idea was that you can actually buy your way into influence. Uh, we don't know anything about that in America. You can buy your way into significance to actually make the rules of the day. So this person, this rich young ruler, isn't just a random person walking down the street. This is a significant person. And I love that Luke says all this and doesn't give his name. Right? Luke is like, in this world, you're significant. To us, you're just a rich young ruler. And so this person with the great significance, the ruler, the prince, the, the, the Sanhedrin, mover and center, comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. We got to stop there for a second. The word he uses for good is agathos, right? It means godly. It, it means essentially upright and as someone who's essentially good. Meaning he's not just saying, Jesus, you're the best teacher. Or Jesus, you're my favorite teacher. You know, Jesus, in fifth grade, I had you and you changed my life. You're a great teacher. No, no. The Agathos he's using as a stuff on this is you're a godly teacher, which is significant because if he's coming from the Sanhedrin, if he's coming from a place of influence, if he's coming from the power that existed, he's saying to Jesus, when I look at you, I see something different. When I look at you, I see God. That's significant when he says the teacher. In fact, the word for teacher is closer to master. So it's not just you taught me, right? It's someone who's coming with a somewhat contrite heart and saying, I don't know everything about you, but when I look at you, I see God. What's up with that? When I look at you, I see someone who's commanding with authority. In fact, the word that's used for teacher and master here, the bachelor, literally means someone who teaches the things of God, or another translation would say, someone who teaches the things of God for the people. So he's not just naming Jesus as like good teacher and like a, a place of like, oh, that's a nice thing to say. He is actually coming in submission. I think that's significant. Because a lot of times, you know, we go to the end of the story, right? We go to the end of the story, but look how he felt super. But he comes humbly, I believe. He comes exalting Jesus for who he thinks Jesus is. And he comes saying, when I look at you, I see God. When I look at you, I see you teaching the things of God to us. I just have one simple question, good teacher. Agathos, the Daskalos. I have one question. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Now, especially as we get ready for, for Lent and then we go into Easter season, we talk about how the people back then, right? That the Jesus became to the people and they wanted the last three kings. That's true. We talked about how they, they come to Jesus and they, they wanted someone who would take down all the power of Rome, the yoke of Rome, set up the kingdom of God. And that's true. But I'm afraid that when we only focus on that aspect of it, we focus on them only wanting a political power. Not us in 2024, but we're not going to think political power is going to change anything. Not us. We're way ahead of that, right? But we only focus on them looking at political power. But you know something? There are people in Jesus' day who did not yet follow Jesus who longed not for political power before the actual kingdom of God. And I think he's longing for the actual kingdom of God. He's looking around and saying, man, I have all this influence and it's getting us nowhere. God, will you come? Well, you come and begin your kingdom. And what does the kingdom look like? It's not just God on the throne, Messiah on the throne. It's a kingdom where God's power benefits everybody. Not just the Jews, not just Israel. There are people longing for God to make things right in the world. There are people longing for all evil to be done away with. 
In fact, the word is used for eternal life in our age is an invitation, not just like we think about eternal life, but just like we'll go on forever and ever and ever. That's not what's meant by that word. I know eternal throws you off, but that's English. Right? It's written in Greek, right? And so the idea here is not just existing forever. The idea was sharing in the life that God gives now forever. See the difference? If we're waiting for eternal life, we're waiting to die, but he's to come back to begin. Jesus seems to believe that the life eternally starts today. That you can start facing and seeing that God is good today. That you, right where you are, can start experiencing God's kingdom today. That you don't have to die, but Jesus doesn't have to come back for you to know that God is good. That God is great. That God loves you, that God's with you, you don't have to win on that part. So eternal life doesn't just what happens when we die. We can taste it today. And, and so this longing that the people had was for a world of no corruption, was for a world of no decay, was for a world of no betterness or grief, was for a world of no death. But for a world of heaven and earth coming together, God coming down to earth and being with God's children, that's what they long for. So when we say they long for the kingdom, and we only talk about Jesus taking down Rome, we miss it. Because there were earnest people who were trying to follow God and yearn for the promises of the Old Testament, which was God coming down to earth and making it good. They yearn for that. And so this is where I think the rich young ruler is coming from. He may not fully believe in Jesus and fully ready to accept everything, but he's like, okay, good master, one who looks like God, one who teaches us about God, when is the kingdom coming? I want to taste it today. And in the midst of all that, instead of working that out with him, Jesus does whatever he gets people to do. He asks a new question. Why are you trying to sort all this out in his head, right? When's the kingdom coming? You look like the kingdom. You look like the Messiah. Like, I don't know, but you don't have the power. I'm not thinking just, I'm looking at the world as corrupt. I'm looking at the world as bitterness and death and brokenness. Like, when is it actually going to come? In the midst of him doing all of this, Jesus says, wait, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? A question that arrests him. Because Jesus has to remind them that no one is good but God alone. There's two things that Jesus does there with that one simple phrase. One, he reminds them that if you're going to call me good, Agatha, I don't just look like God because only God is good. So the first thing is you got to accept, am I a good teacher or am I a good savior? Am I a good teacher who looks like God, or am I God? Because your scripture tells you what? Only God is good. Only God is good. One of the things they do with pastors, they like to call them reverends, right? And I find that weird. The funny thing about being a pastor is weird. But I find reverends super weird. You know why? Because only God should be reverend. Only God should be reverent. You should not hold any one of us in the same reverence, in the same breath, as you hold God. And that's the same perspective you've been giving here. Only God is good. So if you say that I am good, are you saying I am God? And before he can breathe, Jesus is also saying, okay, if I am good, and if you're good, what does that goodness look like? Right? 
you want to save the command, you want to save the age to come, you want to save it now, you know the answers, right? If you want to get these Gentiles, you know the answers, follow the commandments. And he gets some basic ones, right? Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. Now, there's most people who believe there's over 600 commandments, right? These are the other places that are coming to two. Love God, love your neighbor, right? And here he gives them four ones that I think is interesting because these are things that he can say if he's a quote-unquote good person, if he looks like he belongs in the kingdom, these are four that he can basically say, I did that. And he says that, right? I kept all these since I was a boy. When I was a boy, I was amazed by the audacity of this man. Part of me being amazed by the audacity is if Jesus came to my house, or if I watched and saw Jesus on the screen and said, Are you good? I'm like, Well, Jesus, I'm only good because of you. I just done it to people. Yeah? But like, to be able to look at God in the universe in the face and be like, Yeah, I've done them all. I know you think you have 619, passed all of them. Well, one, two, three, four, nailed them. Perfect. Perfect score. Doing great, right? And I think Jesus is asking him this question. It's wanting him to actually sit and think about it, right? Are you actually good? Have you actually been faithful? Have you actually done all these things since you were a boy? And he says, yes. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't correct him. Right? There's sometimes in scripture where I would argue Jesus is a little bit petty, right? I know he's the God in the universe, but sometimes when I feel like he says something, I'm just like, ooh, did you really have to go that hard on him? Right? You know, like, it's just like, like, you know the story when it's like the lady, you know, like, you're ready to throw the stone, right? And we love that fact, like, you who's never sinned past the first stone. Like, that's painful, right? Because the older you grow, the more sins you've done, traditionally. I'm not saying anything to older folks, don't email me, right? I'm just saying, law of averages, law of averages, the longer you've been around, the longer you've had to spend, right? Young people, this is a win for you, go for it, right? But that's a very biting thing, right? Because it's just like, you pick up that stone and be like, wow, I am 40 years old. You know what? I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like, there's a lot of times where Jesus, I, I think, I would call it petty, right? Where it's just like, he could have just said it a different way, but he did not. And it was good and worked, right? But here, he's not. Here, he actually accepts what this man has to give. Like, me, if you were looking at Jesus in the eye, if I was Peter, you know, Peter does well in this path. He went to the end, right? I said to Peter, I'd be like, boy, you know you ain't good. There's no way. There's 619. There's no way you get all of them. All of them? 619? I'm going to talk to your mama tomorrow, right? Like, there's no way. But Jesus accepts him saying, I've done all these since I was a boy. Because Jesus doesn't care as much about the commandments as he cares about his heart. Jesus doesn't care as much about him thinking he's good than whether or not he's actually good. So, so Jesus then answers, now you know the commandments, the, the rules that I kept all because I was a boy, so then Jesus asks one more thing because he wants the heart. He wants all of you. He wants the essence of all you are. And he says, okay, cool, 619, you nailed it. Now I want you to sell every single thing you have. And I want you to give it to the poor. What's beautiful about this passage, a lot of times when Jesus talks about the poor, he talks about the poor being with us. And the command is to, for us to love the poor. And, and so a lot of times that we ask questions like, well, I don't know how to do that, right? If you ever ask me that question, you don't know how to do that, I might point you to this passage because it's a struggle for all of us, right? According to Jesus, if you're struggling to learn how to, tell, to love the poor, tell everything and give it to them. Because Jesus is pulling him in this direction where it's not about how you think you're good, it's whether or not your heart fully belongs to me. Sell everything. Give it to the poor. 
for where your treasure is, there your heart will be, he says later on in Scripture. But what Jesus trying to say is that if you want to hold on to the things of this world, you're not going to be ready for the world to come. If you want to be defined by what you have and not who has you, you're not going to be ready for the world to come. If you want to be defined by your socioeconomic status, by the political power, by who your family is, by what you look like, by what education you have, you're not going to be ready for the world to come. The world is already here. And at this, the, the, the rich young ruler becomes exceedingly sorrowful because he was very, very wealthy. I think that's interesting because there wasn't him being asked that he's done all the commandments that woke him up. It wasn't him being asked, do you think I'm God? Do you think I'm good? That woke him up. It was a question of sacrifice for his sister and brother that woke him up. And I wish this story ended more happily. Right? I wish we get to heaven and he's just like, I don't like what Luke did to me. He did me wrong, right? I had a bad future and he put it in that book. And now y'all think I'm, I'm you know what I really think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to have stories like this, right? I remember, like, I had a bad Tuesday and Luke happened to be writing his little notes. You know, like, I really think that's what's going to happen when we get there, right? So maybe he did. Maybe he had a redemption story, a redemption song, right? Maybe he had that, right? But at this point in the story, Jesus seems to identify and challenge us by saying that what we hold on to actually has a bigger hold of us. And so the challenge to us is when we hold on to God, that's a good thing, because God has a bigger hold of us. When we hold on to the good things of this world, our education, our job, our socioeconomic status, our intellect, right? Our family connections, our political power. When we hold on to the things of this world, it actually has a bigger hold of us. If you don't believe it, just enjoy the next nine months in America. You're going to see it, right? You're going to see how much these things that we hold on to are actually holding on to us. There's something else about treasure that I love about this is that Jesus is not just talking about do good now and you'll get gifts tomorrow. Jesus seems to believe that the treasures that God has for us is afforded to us today. Jesus seems to believe that it's not just about storing up, like building up your bank account in heaven, right? It's about the idea of saying, this is so important to me, I can't hold on to it, so I trust it to you. And some of us may be struggling with, what, what do we do that with? I'll give you an easy one. You know what I do that with? My children. My children, that's what I give to God. Like, I give my children to God because I know I want to protect them. The whole this world is dark. I know this world, I know, it, it's weird looking at them at the 10 and 7 and knowing there was no pain and struggle and hardship. I want to do everything to protect them. But I cannot. For God can. So I give them to God. And that's what it means to store your treasure. These things you value, it's not just a giving up, it's a giving to. See the difference? These things we value, it's not a giving up and like, oh, God called me to sacrifice. No, no, no. I give my children to God because He loves them more than I ever will. And do we, are we willing to do the same thing with our resources, with our intellect, 
with our, 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 our standing in society or our standing in culture? Are we willing to take these things and say, God, I give it to you if you can hold on to it and use it better than I have a will because my fleshly desire is going to be what? The uplift me. But your spiritual desire is to do what? Use those things to bring the kingdom forward. Storing up treasures isn't just banking your bank account in heaven. It's actually saying, God, I value this, but I'm going to give it to you because you can do better with it. Sell everything and give it to the poor boys where your treasure is, and then come and follow me, he says. But in this sorrow, Peter and the rest of the group are looking around and like, I mean, who actually can be saved? I mean, this guy just said he does all the commandments, and I, I, I bless Peter. I feel like Peter's sitting here not just about, I give up everything, but just like, hey, I don't even pass the 619 test. You know, like, there's no way I did all of that, right? And so Peter's just like, who, who then can be saved? And I love pastors and preachers and theologians. We spend so much time in church history trying to figure out what Jesus meant by camel through the needle, right? Don't be kidding. Are you serious? Was there a special kind of camel that happened in the Middle East that touched the needle? And some people are like, some people actually said this. They're like, no, 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 no. It wasn't really a needle. It was a rope, right? It was a special kind of rope that you put around the camel. That's like, ridiculous. Because Jesus often uses something called hyperbole. Right? Like Jesus is, is again, being Jesus. He's just like, listen, you think that's hard for people who have uh, are gripped by the things of this world to let go because they won't let go of them? You think that's hard? Imagine a camel fitting to a needle. And you would say it's impossible. And that's what Peter says, who then can be saved? And I love, 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 love that when Jesus says what's impossible with man, it's possible with God. It's not just to encourage you. It's not just to bless you. It's not just to make you feel good about your art situation. It's to remind you that your salvation is only possible because of God. That you're only saved because of Jesus' sacrifice. That the ultimate impossible wasn't a camel going through a needle, but you coming to Jesus Christ. And that was made possible. So Jesus said, yes, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. And, and I know for some of us, it's easy to throw off that, that thing and say, well, I'm not rich, I'm good. When you say I'm not rich, go home and do a fun Google search this afternoon. And, and look at things like access to clean water. Look at things like electricity. Look at things like I can go home right now and make me a sandwich. And I eat another sandwich while I get ready for our national holiday in a couple hours. I want you to you laugh, but it's true. I want you to look at things not like your bank account. I can even look at your bank account. That's another one. Because then most of us who have a hundred dollars in our bank account, we're among the wealthiest people in the world. So we don't get to shake off the yoke and say we're not rich. And I could be smug about it, but well, our father owns a cat on 10,000 pills, right? Of course we're rich. But I also think we need to do the work of realizing that we're rich and blessed beyond measure. So what does sacrifice look like for us? What does sacrifice look like for us? Because you may not be rich compared to America's rich, but that's just one country in the world of hundreds of countries. And in those hundreds of countries all around us, they're very rich. So what does sacrifice look like for us? What does it mean to, to sacrifice to benefit your sisters and brothers? What does it mean that Peter says, Lord, we've left it all to follow you? And that's true. One thing about Jesus' disciples, 
that they weren't poor. And that's something we have to remember, right? They made a sacrifice to go with Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John ran a successful fishing business. Like, this is how they fed their families, right? And then if you look at Jesus' ministry, right, a lot of people are like, well, I, I just feel like men are superior, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, Jesus' entire ministry is a bunch of dudes following Jesus around while the women did all the work and paid for it. Right? Like, that, that, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Amen, right? But that's the thing, though, right? The thing I want us to hold on to here is that they gave up everything to follow Jesus. Everything. Peter gave up his life. His business. Every security that he had. The disciples of Jesus were very contrary to how we think, right? Our, our thinking, generally, this thing is like, let me save up for tomorrow. Let me save up for what might come, what might happen. Like, that's how they operated. These people gave it all up. And, and so you can get the heart of their question there, where Peter speaks the mind of everyone. Everyone's thinking of this like, but Jesus, I mean, I, I, we kind of did that. We did some of that. But don't you love this promise that Jesus makes to him? Jesus doesn't just say, <laughs> You will be blessed in the kingdom to come. Because everything you've given up for the kingdom, you will be blessed beyond measure today and tomorrow. And between mercy and grace, you're blessed. And between today and tomorrow, you're blessed. And between blessings, you're blessed. And I love that. Because I'm going to take this verse out of context. Like, this is why I believe God wants us all to be rich and wealthy. That's not what the verse says. The verse says, give up everything for the kingdom. Not for you, not for your family, not for your country. <laughs> Give up everything for the kingdom. And then you will be blessed in the kingdom. Not by the world's values, but by God's values. Because God's kingdom is breaking into this old world. And that's the beauty of being the church. That's where we ought to be. God's kingdom breaking into this old world. That's what we're called to be. But we cannot be that while we're holding on to the values of this world. While we're holding on to the money, the status, the things of this world. We cannot do that. So what is the good news for us this morning? Because according to every message outside of ourselves, we are the richest of the world. Somebody would argue we're the richest group of people in the history of mankind. Remember, there's only 300 million of us in this country. Right? Somebody will argue with a richest group ever, collectively, in the history of mankind. So what is the good news for the rich? What's the good news for us? Two things. I want to talk about this. Number one, God demands our surrender. God demands our surrender. What is surrender? Surrender is submission and sacrifice coming together as one. God demands our surrender. So the challenge for all of us this morning is where in my life do I need to fully surrender to God? Where in my life do I need to fully give it all to God and say, God, this is yours? Maybe it's the things that scare me the most. Maybe it's the things that I hold on to harder. Or, or there's the strongest grip on it's submission, it's surrendering all you are and all you have to God. 
And to do that, it's going to take sacrifice. Remember, David, I will not give my God that which costs me nothing. It's going to cost you something to surrender. Are you willing to pay the price? It's going to cost you something, and it's going to be called sacrifice. Are you willing to surrender all you are, all you have? And here's the beauty of it. You have to do it every single day. Every single day you must surrender. Because all it takes is one thought to lead you astray. All it takes is one thought, one step in the wrong direction, followed by multiple steps in the wrong direction, to get away from where God's taking you, to get away from God. So we need to surrender every single day. And the best way to surrender is to submit ourselves daily. Holy Spirit, I submit myself to you. Lead me in the way of the everlasting. Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you. I believe you're my Lord and Savior. I bow to you and you alone. Father God, I submit to you and trust you for everything. We must submit every single day. Surrender is what we must do. The second thing that God demands, though, it's not just our, our, our surrender, but our devotion. One writer says this, devotion is not about perfection, but about direction. I love that. And some of us who grew up in the church, if we're honest, we grew up hearing that devotion to God is being perfect, we're at least doing our best, and then we have all this guilt, and we're like, when I, when I'm not good enough, I fail, I fall short. And we focus so much on the failure because we think that the voice of the God is about us being perfect, when none of us will ever be perfect on this side of heaven. So if it's not about perfection, what is it about? It's about direction. Are you striving to love God and follow God with all your heart? That's what devotion looks like. You may stumble, but here's the thing. If you get 50 steps and they're baby steps in the right direction, even three giant steps backwards isn't enough to derail your progress. Right? But that's what it means. It's devotion. It's my direction. Am I walking towards God? Am I submitting to God? Am I being led by God? Am I actually striving to love God more every single day? Because if I'm doing that in devotion, God will bless it. But we cannot have that devotion without discipline. You know, when I was a kid, all I ever heard about Denzel Washington was that he looked good. Right? Like, I didn't even know Denzel was a good actor until I became like college age, right? Like, everyone in my community, that's all they ever said about Denzel. He looks good, right? But not only does Denzel look good, he's a great actor. I know he's one of the top five actors of the generation. I even put the same top five all the time, but that's just me. The thing about Denzel I love is that every now and then he unemptions Jeff. I heard him say this in an interview. He said this, right? Dreams without goals are just dreams. And ultimately, they feel disappointment. On the road to achieving your dreams, you must apply discipline. But more importantly, consistency. Because without commitment, you'll never start. And without consistency, you'll never finish. I love that. Because devotion is discipline, not dreams. If you want to be following God, and you're like, you know what, I want to read my Bible more this year. I want to connect more with Christian friends. I want to actually spend time in the God's presence. I want to do stuff that grow my faith. All of those is not about perfection, but about devotion. If it's about devotion, it's got to be about discipline. You can't just say, I want to be closer to God and not put the work in. And the work doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be consistent. Why? Because without commitment... You'll never start it. Without consistency, you'll never finish. That's what it means. God demands surrender, and you're surrendering to God every single day. And God demands devotion. 
All that devotion means is not that God wants you to be perfect. He knows you're not perfect. That's why He sent Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Look around. That's why you're gifted sisters and brothers in the faith to encourage you and spur you along in the faith. Like, that's why you're blessed to do all this work together. But God does want devotion. And that devotion has to be disciplined and not driven. Are you willing to do the work? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to say, here I am, Lord, with all of you? Are you willing to say, me, my hopes, my dreams, my skills, my gifts, my abilities, everything that I have, for as long as I have, it belongs to you, I offer it up to you. Are you willing to give God that kind of devotion? And maybe our rich young ruler just had a bad Tuesday. I hope Wednesday was better. But for all of us, I hope today is the day we choose to fully, fully put ourselves on the altar and give ourselves to God. Amen?